Welcome, everybody, to This Week in Legal Blogging, in which we talk with leading bloggers from across the legal industry. I am Bob Ambrogi. I'm the host. I write the blog Law Sites and also have the podcast Law Next about uh, innovation in law. And this program is presented by LexBlog, providing lawyers with turnkey digital publishing solutions and strategic consulting for 16 years. Uh, you can find all the past recordings, video recordings of this program at youtube.com slash LexBlog. And this show is also available as an audio podcast, which you can find at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and pretty soon all of your uh all of your preferred podcast platforms. And I'm very happy to uh, have as our guest today, all the way from San Francisco, Kirk Jenkins, uh, who uh, writes a couple of different blogs about appellate practice uh, and is also a lawyer uh, just as of a few weeks ago with the, with the firm Arnold and Porter uh, out, of the, out of their San Francisco office. So uh, Kirk, welcome to the program. Thank you very much, Bob. I'm delighted to be here. I've been listening to your podcast for years and have learned a lot from you and your guests. So I was delighted to join you. Oh, well, that's that's very nice to hear. I'm glad I'm glad you found it uh, useful at some point. Um, so uh, we're going to we're going to talk about your your blogs. You, you write now two different blogs, California Supreme Court Review and Illinois Supreme Court Review, both of which are dedicated to uh, understanding appellate decision-making. But before we talk about the blogs, why don't you tell us a little bit about your practice and what you do? Uh, I am a uh, full-time appellate specialist. I'm uh, currently serving as uh, uh, both the president of the uh, California Academy of Appellate Lawyers and the uh, California State Chair for the ABA's Council of Appellate Lawyers. Uh, but the, uh, the, the area of my practice that, uh, is most directly related to the, uh, uh, the analytics you might say is, uh, my academic background is in economics. So I was uh, very used to large columns of figures and very used to thinking about decision-making that way. Uh, my, uh, thesis in school was a, uh, a regression model of uh, federal um, reserve uh, decision-making and interest rate setting, predicting what the open market committee was going to do to interest rates based on data that was available before the meeting. Uh, so that, in, in a sense, my career has come full circle uh, with uh, uh, taking up uh, legal analytics. So you started the uh, the uh Illinois version of the blog, the Illinois Supreme Court Review in 2015, and then followed with the California Supreme Court Review. And, and as you talked, as you just as you just alluded to, your uh, the the blog is focused on using data analytics uh, 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 to help analyze, I guess, appellate practice. What does that mean? How, what, what do you do? Well, the central goal of it for uh, uh, purposes of uh, assisting an appellate lawyer's practice is to quantify risk. Uh, we have all been making those uh, uh, observations uh, to our clients for years, or I'm sure for centuries. Uh, uh, this litigation is very pro, or this uh, 
uh, jurisdiction is very pro-defendant, this judge is very pro-plaintiff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, there's data to understand all of that at this point, comprehensive data for virtually every jurisdiction. And uh, that's what we do uh, with the uh, appellate decision-making. The the history of analytics uh, uh, vis-a-vis appellate decision-making goes back 100 years. It's been in the academic community for for all that time. And it's a very powerful insight because first and foremost, uh, you're trying to persuade the decision-makers. Very powerful insight into uh, uh, how they make their decisions. And it gives you the ability to tell your client more precisely exactly what the risk is. Uh, For example, you come back from an oral argument and rather than saying, uh, well, I felt like we got all our points out and they were listening and they were well prepared, uh, be in a position to say something based on the data from the last 15 years, our chances of prevailing based on what you just saw are uh, roughly 72%. That's something that clients understand and they can work with. I used an example in an article that I wrote several years ago. Uh, Try the difference between offering your client a billion-dollar package of mortgages uh, to buy on the one hand versus offering him the same package and saying, okay, based on the last 15 years, this many are going to pay out early, this many are going to pay out on time, and this many are going to go into default. The second example, the client knows how to deal with that in a way that the first example, uh, you you can't manage risk if you can't measure it. And that's why analytics is such a powerful uh, tool. I I, I can't can't help but think that we're we're having this conversation in the week that uh, Supreme Court confirmation hearings have been going on in Washington, Uh, D.C. Absolutely, because there are a lot of different ways that you can... uh, uh, zero in on a, uh, a judge's performance. Um, uh, there is work out there on text analytics. Uh, the theory is that there are uh, certain markers in a uh, judge's writings that don't change from one opinion to the next, from one uh, uh, year to the next, that can tell you the, the judge's attitudes uh, based on how they write. Uh, you can tell uh, it, it put precision to things like um, uh, this judge uh, rules for plaintiffs in this kind of case a very high percentage of the time, more so than his or her colleagues, or a, a low percentage of the time. It's it's fairly straightforward to prepare a, a comprehensive report with the uh, analysis of a, a judge's history. But but I haven't heard anything about that in in, in the hearings this week. It would be interesting to know if that if that exists and it probably does. But so what it, when you talk about uh, the data analytics here, what what's what's the data? Are you compiling a, a database of the courts, in particular justices' writings and opinions? Uh, yes. Uh, the beginning of this before the two blogs were uh, uh, started. Um, as I say, it really has its uh, uh, beginnings in the academic tradition. There is a, uh, uh, a database out there that you can do a Google search for. It's freely available to anyone called the Supreme Court Database that was founded by uh, uh, professors uh, Harold Spaeth and uh, fairly early on, uh, Jeffrey Siegel joined them. 
And uh, at this point, several more professors joined after that. At this point, it contains data on every decision the United States Supreme Court has ever handed down and roughly 100 to 150 variables on every single one. Well, that was my model uh, for what I did in both Illinois and California. Uh, depending on the year, I have between 125 and 150 variables for every case those two uh, courts have decided uh, since 1990. So there is virtually no question about those uh, uh, courts' performances over the last 30 years that I can't answer. Uh, as long as I have the time to go to the data. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, in some ways, it almost sounds like a blog, I mean, a product more than a blog. Uh, how, how did you make the decision to uh, launch a blog as a way of, of bringing this data and this information to, the, to, to your readership? Uh, well, I believe that uh, blogging is, uh, in a lot of ways, um, taking over what was once the place of law reviews uh, and bringing authoritative commentary uh, to a wider audience. I mean, uh, it, the, the fraction is probably higher among appellate specialists, but uh, uh, asking uh, lawyers out there, when was the last time you read a law review article? Uh, it takes a fairly long time to get them into print, uh, goes through a lot of review, and uh, it's a very formalized process. And one of the things I've noticed uh, since I've been uh, doing this is that um, a lot of my posts begin with uh, me musing, I wonder if, and then a question follows. Well, I go to the data and figure it out. And since a lot of times those are things that people have been talking about, conventional wisdom sorts of things, uh, the, the, the thing you can do on a blog that you could never do on a law review is you've still got to post if you discover that the answer to I wonder if is no rather than yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I've been able to demonstrate that a lot of things that uh, the California appellate bar has been uh, uh, saying as conventional wisdom for years really aren't true through using the data. Yeah. So, so essentially, you see yourself as as uh, your 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 blog as, as a medium for publishing your research into uh, uh, appellate law in California and Illinois. That's it's exactly right, absolutely. And it has, in particular in Illinois, it has uh, uh, well, there are judges that uh, read it regularly uh, in both states, but. Uh, uh, the Illinois blog has been uh, cited uh, by the Intermediate Appellate Court in Illinois uh, for its expertise on the Illinois Supreme Court. So uh, uh, it it does get around and has gotten around in both states. So uh, who uh, who are you writing this for? Who do you see as your audience? Is it other appellate practitioners? Is it judges? Is it, you know, all of the above? Uh, well, a little bit all of the above, but fundamentally, this is a, uh, a tool to assist my practice and the practices of people like me that are in the position I'm in. Um, I made a, a decision in dealing with the data early on 
dividing it between civil and criminal. Uh, my definition of, of criminal cases is idiosyncratic because it is uh, basically anything that the law firms that I've worked for wouldn't necessarily handle. So a lawyer will tell you that habeas corpus, for example, is a, uh, a civil proceeding, but I've got it on the, uh, the criminal side because if you put it on the civil side, it then corrupts the database. Um, but ultimately, it is to, to put me in a position uh, to be able to tell my clients one step at a time through the life of the case, based on the data, what is most likely to happen and help us to focus in on the, uh, uh, the best way to get to a, a majority of the panel. So are, are, are other appellate practitioners, other lawyers coming to you and saying, could you look into this for me and write about this question I have? Or where, is that happening? Yes, I get those calls. I have uh, uh, gotten uh, uh, calls, just to take the first example that comes to mind, from uh, uh, clients that are actually using other uh, uh, lawyers that want to know things like, uh, uh, what does this mean and how... How long is the wait going to be? When is the decision going to come down? And all sorts of things like that. And we have uh, uh, precise data that really goes through every step of the case. Uh, we have the, uh, in, in California, we have the, uh, the timing data uh, based on an ABA uh, study of a number of years ago, dividing the appellate process into every step. Um, I can tell you the... Uh, uh, the average lag time from uh, step A to step B, step B to C, and so on uh, for every case in the last 30 years. So how do how, how do the people who read your blog use that information? Do, do they use it to inform the arguments that they present to the court or the cases they take to an appellate court? Uh, I think not necessarily the cases. But uh, uh, the way other lawyers would uh, uh, use it in assembling a case is to better understand the, uh, uh, the record of a particular judge when they're going to uh, uh, one of these courts. Uh, uh, we all have a general perception. Uh, Justice A is more conservative than Justice B, Justice B, Justice C, and so on. But in both Illinois and California, it's actually a good bit more complicated than that. And uh, we treat uh, uh, judges in uh, uh, dealing with appellate courts in a way similar to the way politicians do, as if they're completely independent decision makers. And what A thinks doesn't have any impact on B, doesn't have any impact on C. Uh, in fact, the scholarship demonstrates that that's completely wrong, uh, such that, uh, for example, uh, just to take one study, uh, 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 holding holding uh, constant for ideology uh, in, for lack of a better term, gender-related cases, uh, uh, gender discrimination, uh, gender harassment, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, a male judge will move in the plaintiff's direction if he's sitting with women on the panel. So you have to take all of that into account in estimating your, your chances. And uh, there is a, uh, a cohesion problem 
Uh, for example, in Illinois, one of the reasons that it's been uh, dem Democratic control for years, uh, but one of the reasons that it hasn't moved more in a leftward direction is that the Republicans vote together a good bit more often than the Democrats do. So if you've got three distinct positions from the Democratic justices and the, uh, uh, the Republicans are all signing on to the same opinion, uh, you carry the day a lot. And the discussion that's going on in D.C. right now, oh, my gosh, it's going to be you know, this way or that way. It really depends on panel cohesion in a way that not that many people are talking about. So, so Judge a, Judge A, who rules a particular way, uh, who who might be expected to rule a particular way, might actually rule in a different way depending on who else is on the panel and what the nature of the matter is that's being presented to the panel. That's absolutely right. And uh, uh, the 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 judges, uh, of course, like all of us, don't have uh, uh, cookie cutter opinions uh, on on these things. Uh, there are uh, Democratic judges. Well, just to take California, for example, uh, I would place the, uh, the Democratic appointees at significantly different points on the ideological spectrum, particularly in criminal cases, uh, whereas the Republican appointees are, tend to be much more uh, uh, liberal than what you might think is the, uh, the Republican mainstream around the country. And one of the things I'm going to be watching is it becomes more and more a Democratic court with uh, uh, the incoming Justice Jenkins and the, uh, the Brown appointees and et cetera, is uh, whether the Republicans who are left uh, move to the le move leftwards and uh, uh, begin ruling in a more plaintiff way. I, I see from your blog that you do or you've been doing, I guess, a, a number of uh, kind of historical retrospectives. I mean, for example, I'm looking at what kinds of tort cases does the Supreme Court decide? Um, what are you what are you doing there? What what's the purpose of those and, and how do those help uh, you or your readership? Well, uh, for example, you're sitting with a, a tort case on your desk and uh uh, obviously, tort is a big area, and uh, uh, it can be subdivided into uh, uh, various sub-areas and probably even sub-sub-areas. And the, uh, uh, from, from one year to the next, uh, the, the court will be in most of those areas over time, but they, they're not solely a torts court, so they... Uh, spend some time in one area and, uh, and they then move on to another area and that sort of thing. So you, you, you narrow down what is the court interested in, what has the court been doing for the last few years, and you can better zero in on what your chances of getting your particular case to the court uh, are, either because it's in the area that you're talking about, or you can explain to the court how it impacts that area that the court has been writing about a lot in recent years. Yeah. So, Kirk, you were an appellate lawyer before you started these blogs. Uh, have Has starting these blogs had any impact on your practice or your career? Absolutely. Uh, it has uh, made a lot of what has happened over the last uh, uh, eight or ten years possible. Uh, people 
uh, uh, I, I get calls fairly frequently uh, based on people that uh, believe it or not have done Google searches. Uh, and by people, I'm, I'm including corporate uh, corporate folks yeah. uh, doing Google searches, looking for um, uh, expertise in a certain area, uh, either a geographical area or an area of the law. Uh, and uh, we have exited the time when, uh, to a great extent, the time when stereotypical business development, uh, doing deals on the golf course is really all you need. Um, it has become Especially siloed. Especially this year. Yeah. <laughs> it has become siloed in the sense that uh, uh, you have to be able to have your expertise on display uh, on the internet. Uh, when I was the national chair of appellate at uh, Sedgwick, uh, I used to tell uh, the other lawyers uh, in, in my group, if someone can get on Google and put your name in and they don't know what your expertise is within three minutes, you're doing it wrong because you frequently don't get any longer than that. And I've had clients, uh, corporate clients tell me that they they decided they needed an appellate lawyer in this in this uh, jurisdiction, and it didn't take them long on the internet to figure out who the uh, who the expert was. Well, and yours is not the only appellate blog out there on the internet, but I, I have to think that yours is the only uh, appellate law blog focused on uh, uh, appellate analytics. As this, I, I is is this unique to you, or is there anybody else doing this? Well, there is empirical SCOTUS, uh, which is uh, uh, out there. There's not uh, uh, tons of it, but it's only going to increase because uh, uh, obviously the world is going in that direction and it is becoming uh, more crucial uh, these days with the, the things that the uh, society is wrestling with, uh, things like racial disparities, because um, we we talk a lot about well the rule of law that's what the law is and uh whatever the actual decisions are uh that's what the law is uh but if you can demonstrate through analytics and this has been demonstrated again and again and again things like uh impacting a, a panel decision based on who's on the panel things like disparate impact on uh, jurors uh, things like uh, uh, disparate sentencing. The very first appellate analytics uh, article that was ever written was in 1924, and it was about disparate sentencing. Uh, so we've been fighting that for a long time. So it is a crucial tool to penetrate the, uh, the defense. Uh, oh, it's the rule of law. There's nothing that can be done. By showing how it operates in practice, and forcing people to think about, is there something that needs to be done here? Yeah. I, I know you were also, until fairly recently, writing a third blog called Appellate Strategist, which I guess is kind of on a hiatus right now. Uh, but how do you find the time to, I mean, these it's, these look like they must be a lot of work and, and very time consuming to write some of the posts that you write. How do you, how do you work that into your uh, practice schedule? <laughs> Well, actually, uh, it, it, it will take us off topic a little bit. So just a 15-second drop in. I, I actually have another blog. I have a personal blog 
on my website, kirkjenkins.com. But there's no law on that. So, Which is about what? <laughs> the tagline is a blog about Shakespeare, the U.S. Civil War, uh, classic era baseball, and maybe even a bit of quantum mechanics now and then. <laughs> I want to go have a beer with you when this pandemic is over. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, I am in the process of, uh, uh, we're, we're hopefully going to revive the appellate strategist blog, uh, soon, uh, candidly, the, uh, the data work for the, uh, uh, the two analytics blogs, uh, currently is taking a great deal of time. Um, I am working on a, uh, a predictive algorithm, uh, for both Illinois and California, uh, put it on a, a better uh, computer statistical platform and hopefully cut the time uh, way down as part of the answer to your question. And I also have an analytics book in mind that I want to get started writing. Um, but uh, it, it helps to have an elastic definition of what the workday constitutes. <laughs> <laughs> my, uh, uh, my second book, uh, was written entirely between midnight and 2 a.m. <laughs> from beginning to end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do, do you have a schedule around it? I mean, are, do you post on a, on a regular schedule, or is it uh, as, the, as the mood strikes you? Uh, both of the analytics blogs are on a regular schedule. Um, the, the ideal is for Illinois to post on Tuesday and Wednesday, in California to post on Thursday and Friday. Uh, that ha has, has slipped a little bit in some weeks, but the, the guarantee is that there will be two new posts on each blog every single week. And I've done that 52 weeks a year ever since those two blogs opened. Yeah. Um, I, I hope this isn't a, a delicate question, but you, you know, you've moved firms, uh, since you've been, uh, writing this blog, I think a couple of times, uh, since you started these blogs, has, has that at all been an issue? Have, have you been, if the blogs always belonged to you and moved with you? Uh, yes. Um, all three of the blogs that you mentioned, including appellate strategist, uh, we started that in the appellate group at, uh, uh, Sedgwick and, uh, uh, the, the two Supreme Court reviews have always been uh, uh, my project. There was one guest post on the, uh, the Illinois uh, uh, blog, but uh, uh, other than that, I've completely written both of them. And uh, uh, to the credit of the, uh, the two firms, uh, it, there has never been any debate about... Uh, uh, my ability to uh, to take them with me. Yeah, and what about uh, marketing or building up a readership for your blog? What what have you done in that regard, or has it just been kind of organic? Uh, it is crucial for um, uh, blog writers to uh, cross promote their work on um, uh, other uh, social media platforms. Uh, everything that I do. Uh, I cross promote over onto LinkedIn. Uh, both of the uh, uh, statistical blogs have uh, Twitter feeds that are dedicated to them uh, in in their names. Uh, uh, the uh, Flipboard platform uh, I've used a lot to uh, cross promote the blog. 
about a year and a half ago, I took a very close look at the uh, uh, the Google Analytics on the sites, and uh, it turns out that the people who come in uh, through social media links outnumber the people who actually go straight to the URL twenty to one. So uh, that's the crucial step to understand that you're not done by a long shot when you hit publish on the blog. Right. Um, what, you know, what, what, what have you learned about blogging? What, what advice do you have for others who are maybe new to blogging or just thinking about starting it? Uh, what, what have been the lessons that have been important to you in, 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 in your own blogging? It's imperative that you find something that you feel strongly about because ultimately what you're doing and, uh, uh, if you're fortunate is something that, uh, uh, you can figure out a way to really benefit your practice in the sense of benefiting your clients. But that's sort of the, the second step. The first step is uh, I, I can get excited about this subject, whether it's eminent domain law. Uh, there's a, a story, I, I, I believe one of our co colleagues on uh, the Lex Blog Network, uh, uh, equine law, uh, whatever it is. Uh, because it's going to take time. And if you do it as a, uh, oh, geez, I've got to roll out a blog post, uh, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, so find something that you can use as your niche. This is why I'm not just another accomplished appellate lawyer. I do this and something that you feel strongly about. Uh, it's the old uh, uh, cliche about find something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. There's some truth to that uh, right. with, uh, uh, with blogging. As I said at the outset, um, I, I was looking at giant uh, columns of uh, uh, numbers and trying to predict uh, uh, human behavior nearly 40 years ago in college. So it's a... Uh, uh, a very comfortable place for me and something that I'm fascinated by. Yeah, you, you probably you might want to remind yourself of that at two o'clock in the morning when you're working on your next book. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, it's been a real pleasure to speak. Any 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 other closing words or final words uh, that you want to mention before we wrap up today? Um, I, blogging is a, a career changing experience. If you feel strongly enough about it to really commit to it, uh, in the way that I was talking about, uh, as a, a tool to differentiate yourself, not to channel my inner economist, but, uh, uh and if you're fortunate to do something you're passionate about, it changes your career. Uh, the last 10 years of my career, uh, I, I suspect, would have been very different if I hadn't gone in these uh, uh, directions. And uh, it's just been amazing. Well, that's good to hear. Uh, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. And um, I really appreciate you are taking the time today to, to uh, tell us about your blog and about your practice. It's been really interesting. Uh, and uh I will, I will be an avid reader going forward, even if I'm not in California or Illinois. I think it, it's fascinating what you're doing. I'm fascinated by analytics and law generally and uh, really interested in what you're doing. So thanks a lot.
My pleasure, Bob. And uh, so uh, just for anybody watching or listening, the two blogs are the California Supreme Court Review and the Illinois Supreme Court Review. And not surprisingly, you can find them at CaliforniaSupremeCourtReview.com and IllinoisSupremeCourtReview.com. And uh, we are going to be back uh, next week in our, where our guest is going to be Lisa Stam, who's the publisher of the Employment and Human Rights Law in Canada blog. So uh, watch for that same time, same place. Again, a reminder, you can find all of the past episodes of this on YouTube at youtube.com slash LexBlog or check us out on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts on behalf of uh, everybody at LexBlog. This is Bob Ambrogi. Thanks a lot for watching and or listening.